0: Anybody know that little girl? (laughs) When I was uh, younger and parenting, Marcia and I had our first two children, Ben and Bethany, our son and daughter. And uh, I have to tell you, the first about, I don't know, year or two, we honestly thought about writing a book on parenting because we had it down. Those two kids just loved each other, cared for each other, and played together. It was absolutely amazing. And whenever we would see, you know, parents struggling with their children or telling stories about how difficult their children were, we thought to ourselves, you know something? We'll write the book. We'll offer free seminars. James Dobson, here we come. And then one day, my daughter was standing on the inside of our house at the screen door, and her little brother was standing on the other side of the screen door, and they were having a conversation when my son decided that it would be funny to take a handful of sand and throw it at his sister, and he reached down and he grabbed a pile of dirt in his hands and he just hurled it at the screen door. And of course the dirt went through the screen door, in her hair, in her face, in her mouth, all over her beautiful white dress. Did I tell you it was right before church was going to start? <laughs> and I don't know what happened that day. But they went from being the most peaceful, loving brother and sister to two of the most antagonistic children when it came to their relationship to each other, that, well, let's put it this way, I decided we were not going to write the book. (laughs) Then started the fighting, then started the feuding, and, oh, my goodness, we realized this isn't going to be quite as easy as we had hoped it was going to be. But generally speaking, they were pretty easy to raise, fairly compliant children, and actually... Our best years with them were their teenage years. When most parents are pulling their hair out, you think that's what happened. That's not. When most parents are biting their nails, when most parents are, you know, making phone appointments to go talk to the counselor or the pastor, wondering what they're going to do next, I loved, I just absolutely loved the high school years with those two kids. And I thought about writing a book. How to raise teenagers. I guess maybe I just wasn't the the guy to write the book on preschoolers. Maybe not the guy to write the book on elementary and middle schoolers. But I was going to be the guy to write the book on high schoolers. And then we had our third child. And when Tim came into our lives, our third child, I suddenly realized why God gave me two relatively easy children to raise before he showed up. Tim has been a project. And he and I had the most difficult and intense struggle I can imagine in my mind, of course, you might disagree with me, that a parent and a teenage son could possibly have. In fact, I was trying to think, how could I I describe what our years were like during his... uh, Uh, his adolescence, and this picture came to mind. I think this would adequately describe uh, the two of us. I'm on the left, and he is on the right. We butted heads throughout his entire teenage years. It was hard. It was difficult. And I decided I am not going to write the book. Those were really hard, rebellious years. In fact, I talked to my son earlier today and I said, hey, guess what? I'm talking tonight about how to raise a super tough kid. And he laughed. (laughs) And uh, it actually opened the door for a really great discussion between the two of us of how hard those years were and what a jerk I had been. And I was so glad to hear him say, yeah, and I was one too. That's the picture you just saw there. And it was painful, and it was hard. And it's still kind of painful, and it's still kind of hard. But I can tell you, I love him. And the other day, he texted me and said, Dad, I love you too. And that was really encouraging to me. Sometimes it's hard to figure out why it is that children rebel when they're raised in good homes, when they're raised with lots of love, and when they're raised with the truth. And sometimes it's hard to know how you're supposed to deal with that as a parent, or even how you're supposed to deal with that when you're the rebellious child. How does it all work together? Does God understand? Does God even care? After all, his son was perfect. The truth is, God understands more than we realize. God knows the pain in the heart of a parent who is trying to raise a son or a daughter, who by, by nature is, is rebellious and, and is pushing all the buttons all the time and making bad decisions. God knows all about that. And he gave us a wonderful story to describe how it affects him and how we should look at our children when they rebel. It is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible that Jesus ever told. It's a beloved story. It's a story that we may know too well. Sometimes you know Scripture too well. You don't really pay attention to it. So I want us to look at it from a different angle this weekend. Grab your Bibles here at, at 111th and turn open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke chapter 15. You and I know the story as the story of the, what, of the prodigal son, the prodigal son. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read part of the story to you, and then we'll get started together, all right? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. There are some things that I have learned along the way when it comes to parenting a child who's kind of rebellious and difficult. And I want to share those with you. And you can apply these at the various stages, especially when that child leaves home and leaves home in a rebellious kind of state. The first thing that I have learned you might want to jot down is don't assume. Don't assume. Here's what I mean by that. I think it's really easy for us sometimes in the church to look at other families and other parents and watch them struggling with their kids, and we assume that they're not very good parents. We assume that they must be making a lot of mistakes at home for their child to turn out to be like that because we're not having the same kinds of problems. Hence, when I was a younger parent, I thought about writing those books. But since I had to deal with rebellion, and since I had to go through that experience, especially in those adolescent years, I've come to realize that, you know something, you can be a good parent, not a perfect parent, and believe me, I have done a lot of things wrong. Now, as a grandparent, I don't do anything wrong. But as a parent, I've done a lot of things wrong. But what I've learned is this, you can be a good parent, you can love God, you can teach God's word, you can read all the books, do it all right, and that does not guarantee that your child's not going to rebel. And so don't assume, in the church we should not judge or assume that because a family's dealing with a rebellious child that something's wrong with the parents. Now, there can be issues, yes, of course. There could be bad parenting, and there is a lot of bad parenting today. But don't be so quick to judge. After all, in our story that we're looking at right now that Jesus tells, this is a story where the father represents God. And the prodigal son represents rebellious Israel. Or we could say rebellious you or rebellious me. And in one sense, all of us in our relationship to God have been prodigals or are prodigals, right? Wrong? How many of you are a prodigal? Let me see your hand. If you're a sinner, you're a prodigal. We're all sinners. So we were all prodigals. We were all rebellious at one time in our lives. Am I right? And God brought us back to himself, or we're on the way back. So you wouldn't look at the story and say, well, God must have been a bad parent, would you? No. God God is the perfect parent. God is the perfect creator. So, we don't blame God for the problem with the prodigal. We don't blame God for the problems of our world. Neither should we be so quick to blame parents because they're dealing with everybody's son. The second thing I want to encourage you to write down is this Every child makes choices. Every child makes choices. It is the gift that God has given to us that makes us more like God than anything else. For we are created in his image and what? And in his likeness. He gives us the capacity to choose. And ever since our original parents, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God, we had that nature in us. We are born with that same nature. A child comes prepackaged with rebellion in their genes. Did you know that? They come prepackaged with rebellion in their genes. And man, it comes out early, doesn't it? And it expresses itself in anger and demands that are made. We all come with the capacity to choose. And the truth is, as much as you want to give them love and want to give them truth and want to show them the right way to go ultimately they are going to start making decisions about whether they're going to accept that and be blessed by it or rebel against it and eventually deal with the consequences that go with that. And that's the option each one of us has. All of us make choices every day. And if we make our choices in line with God and his truth, there's blessings that the Bible says comes our way. But if we make choices that are anti-God or contrary to his truth, then God says we will be attending the school or the University of Consequences. And I tell you what, that's a painful degree, isn't it? It is a painful degree. But man, I see people lined up out of that school. They don't have enough Capacity in the school of consequences. Everybody thinks it's the school to attend. I've done a little time there myself. How about you? And I didn't enjoy it. What I can't figure out is why I got in line again. That's the definition of insanity, isn't it? To get in line twice for the same pain. And some of us have just been in that line continuously, haven't we? And sometimes we watch our kids do that and oh, it is heartbreaking to watch our kids attend the School of Consequences. It was heartbreaking for this father to hear his son come to him and say, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I'm making a choice and my choice is to leave home and go live it up. You don't think that father knew what his son was in for? How painful that was going to be? Now, when our children are still at home, we have a responsibility as parents. And that responsibility is to help guide their choices, to show them the blessings that come, but also to discipline them so that they understand what the consequences are to those. What's absolutely amazing, though, when you're raising a strong-willed child is how many times they will get in line to go to the school of consequences in your home. If you run into a wall and discover that walls are hard by breaking your nose and getting a bloody mess all over the place, how many of you are gonna run into that wall again? Some of you are honest enough to say, Oh, I will do it, right? Well, <laughs> obviously, in a physical sense, I would hope you say, No, I'm not gonna run into that wall again, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time, and our kids do it so often. And it just, you know, it breaks our hearts to watch them do that. So the third thing I want you to jot down is we need to set the boundaries for them. I am sure that this father set boundaries for his son. And by boundaries, I don't mean he told his son all the things that the son could do. By boundaries, I think he told his son what he could not do. Here are the things, son, that are unacceptable in our home. Don't do those things, and then there's all kinds of freedom for you to do many other things, and you'll be blessed by that. You know, sometimes as parents, we get focused on reading our kids all the rules. All right? And and we do it by telling them what they can do. And when we tell them what they can do, we do it in a very legalistic way. I think what we ought to focus on is telling our kids, here's what you can't do. Now think about all the things you can do. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about all the freedom you have in this home. There's just these certain things you can't do. These certain principles you can't follow. But look at all the freedom you have. You have so many choices you can make inside this box. Places to go, things to do, what you'll wear, how you'll eat, how you'll speak, who you'll hang out with. Lots of freedom there. But these are things that you cannot do. And, of course, our kids have a hard time seeing that we've just given them freedom. What they see is that we've just given them confinement, right? And what they want to do is test the what? They want to test the boundaries. They want to see if you really mean what you said. Now, don't you just love the child that tests it once, and you give them a mean look, and they go, I'll never do that again, ever, 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 ever again, please. How many of you, how many of you were that kind of child? Many hey, people make me sick. How many of you have a child like that? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Don't, oh, huh? I'll never do it again. But you know, there are some children that go like this, ouch, ooh, and then they wait for when you're not looking, and they go, ouch, ooh. And you know what? From the age of 12 to whenever they get out of your house, they're always, always, always pushing every boundary they can. How many of you were ever a child like that? Wow, a lot of hands went up in this place. How many of you may have a child like that? push, 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 push. And what that does is it wears the parent down. And the more you get worn down, guess what you start doing? You start expanding the boundaries, giving them more license and more room. You think you're doing them a favor, but in all honesty, what you're trying to do is get some rest. What you're trying to do is close your eyes to what they're doing. What you're trying to do is get along with them better. What you're trying to do, especially in their teenage years, is become their friend. Can I just say this to you? And you should know this by now. As a parent, your job description does not include being their friend. Hopefully, you'll be a friend later on. But there's some years during parenting when you cannot be the friend. You have to be the drill sergeant. My son went to the Marines. I am very proud of my son. He's been Afghan twice. He's going out on a boat in September for six months. He's been assigned with recon. I mean, he's doing a great job. He is, he's turning into a wonderful Marine in terms of protecting and defending our country. He takes his job ever so seriously. But I helped him get ready for the Marines. He lived in boot camp for about five or six years. And sometimes that's what it feels like. It just feels like boot camp. You know, you want a break. You want to just be dead. You just want to show a little love. You want a little, you want just to have a, to enjoy those years. But man, you know, with some, with some kids, you just always have to be on them. And the temptation, listen to me, is to give up. You cannot give up. You cannot give up. You must constantly reinforce those boundaries, no matter how many times they push against it. No matter how many times you get angry, no matter how many times you cry, no matter how many times you feel like just shaking your head, washing your hands and saying, I give up, do whatever you want. You cannot do that. God holds you responsible. No matter what decision they ultimately make, God holds you responsible. To keep the boundaries in place. God always kept the boundaries in place with Israel, didn't he? He never said, I can't handle you people anymore. Go ahead. You know, marry the the, the pagan women. Go ahead. Worship the idols. I, it's all right. Okay, I'll give you that much space, that much room. God didn't do that. He always kept the boundaries in place. And I think that's one of the reasons why this son left home. He couldn't deal with the boundaries he wanted out. Be consistent. Be consistent. As a parent, when they're very young, when they become junior high, when they're high school, just be consistent with the boundaries. It's not fair to your child, if the boundaries are always moving and changing. And obviously, as a child becomes more responsible and proves themselves to be more responsible, you can give them more and more choices to make on their own because they're making the choices within the boundaries. But when your child refuses to be responsible, you've got to keep the boundaries tight. Be consistent in giving them freedom when they deserve it. Be consistent in pulling the boundaries back when they rebel against them. Be controlled. Be controlled. This is where I probably made my biggest mistake. I allowed my son's rebellion at times to make me very angry. And I'm Dutch, and I have a Dutch temper. And I would just get so angry with him inside that it caused stress for me. It caused stress for him. And if I could do it all over again, and he and I have talked to each other about it. We've both reconciled. We've both apologized about it. He said, you can talk about me tonight, Dad, so I have his permission, all right, from that. All right? You know what? If I had to do it all over again, I would not blow so much steam. I would just learn to be calm and not allow his behavior to control me. It's just not worth it. There are too many things you'll regret if you come uncorked and become an angry father or an angry mother. It doesn't work. It doesn't help. It doesn't change anything. You think it makes you feel good, but what you've done is you've just fed into them. They are now, they are now controlling you. You realize that? You're letting them control you. Take that joy away. Smile. It's like they don't know what to do. Just smile. Speak the truth, but smile. Hold the boundaries in, but smile. Just give them one of those Joel Osteen smiles. uh, You know? It'll chill them out. It'll chill them, chill them, chill them out. All right? Be controlled. All right? But someday, someday, listen what? Someday, they get of that age when legally they can make decisions to come or go. Someday, they will be at that stage when they finish high school, all right? when they turn 18 and they refuse to live by the boundaries and they say, you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to break those boundaries, that's when you've got to let them go. That's when you've got to let them go or you need to help them go. Here are the boundaries. You are now a man, you say. You are now a woman, you say. You can either live in our boundaries or you can go. My advice is that you give them options, contractual options. That's what I did with my son. I sat down and I said, here are three choices that you can make, and we can work all three out. Which one do you want? He chose the Marines. What's that tell you about the other two? Just kidding, all right? But you put power in their hands when you give them choices. See what I'm saying? And a very good friend of mine helped me understand that. If I don't give you a choice, if I just say, it's going to be like this, right, then what I've done is I'm saying, you have no power, and that just makes the kids rebel all the more. But if you say, look, here are three ways that I believe that we could all get along and spend life together. Which ones do you want? They all have boundaries in them. This is what I require. This probably has the least boundaries, but which one do you want? You put the power of choice in their hands. You force them now to act somewhat as an adult. But you give them the choice. Next, accept, but don't approve. Accept, but don't approve. Here's here's why I put that down. You know, sometimes our kids uh, rebel, and then they leave home, all right? And, And they continue to live in their choice, but they want a relationship with us. How do you deal with that, especially these days, especially when your child may be choosing a, 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 a gay or, or a lesbian kind of relationship? How do you handle that? I've had parents ask me that. I don't know what to do. My son or my daughter has chosen the gay lifestyle. And I don't agree, and I believe it's wrong. How do I handle that? And what I would say to you is you need to... Accept your son, your daughter, all right? You don't have to approve of the choice that they're making. See what I'm trying to say? Follow the example of Jesus. Look at how, look at the people he dealt with in the gospel. Every kind of ragamuffin you can imagine. adulteress, to uh, 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 tax cheats to prostitutes. How did, he, how did he interact with them? Did he come down beating down on their heads right away? No. They always felt accepted by him. I'm not saying he accepted their sin. He accepted them as a person. He loved them as a person. And that's why he could then talk to them about what he did not approve, what God did not approve. We have to be careful that we don't get so angry at our children for the choices that they've made that we now reject them. We oftentimes say, love the sinner, hate the sin. and Sometimes we're the worst at practicing that in our own families. I love my son. I love my daughter. I may not approve, and we'll have discussions about what I don't approve. But I want them to know I love them. And that's a tension that's hard to live with. And the longer it goes, the harder it is. I just had a conversation with a dad recently that I've known for many, many years whose son went into a homosexual lifestyle and has broken this dad and mom's heart so much as I've watched them throughout the years. But you know what? As we had a conversation very recently, he said, I'm still praying for him. I still love him. I want him to know I love him. And I'm looking forward to that day when he finally comes home. Home all the way. Heart, soul, mind, and body. Write down, don't rescue until they repent. Don't rescue until they repent. You know, this father, he could have chased down his son, couldn't he? And when he saw his son without money, he could have said, here's son, here's an extra hundred. But the father doesn't do that. The father just stays home waiting. Sometimes, We try to rescue our kids when they're in trouble, when we ought to leave them alone so they finish the consequences and learn their lesson. To rescue them is to enable them to continue. Now they're thinking to themselves, well, I can just count on mom and dad. If it gets really bad enough, I can just count on them that they're going to come through. I need to be clear with my kids when they leave the house. Here are the boundaries. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I will not do. You make that choice. You suffer these consequences. I will love you, but I will not rescue you out of those things. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to repent. How do you know when your son or daughter has repented? Easy. They will turn away from what they were doing, and they will head back toward home. That will be the sign. That is the evidence. They will turn away from what they're doing, and they'll head back home. What does the son do? He finally hits bottom. He's been in Las Vegas. He's been spending the money. He's been driving a cool car, wearing the Oakley sunglasses. He's had beautiful women hanging around him. He ran out of money, and they all dumped him. A family came along the land, and here's a Jewish kid. And what's he doing? He's feeding swine. You don't do that if you're a Jew, right? And he's so hungry, he's almost willing to eat what the pigs are eating. What does this guy smell like? Anybody ever smell pig manure before? It's like the worst odor, odor in the world. In fact, I brought some with me this weekend so you could all see. No, I'm just kidding, all right? It is like the worst odor in the world. This guy is living with the pigs. He's got pig poop all over him. He smells like pig poop. He looks like pig poop. And he decides, I'm going home. Enough of this. I want to graduate from the School of Consequences and I want to go home. And he headed home, didn't he? And on his way home, he was just sure that his dad was going to be upset with him. He had his whole speech rehearsed. He was going to tell his dad, dad, I'm not, you know, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Can you just make me, you know, one of your ranch hands so I can get up on my feet? I'll try to pay you back, which you would never be able to do. And, and I won't be any trouble to you. And I can just picture this kid coming home in my mind. I can see him coming up the the, the farm lane toward the house. And there at the porch of the house is his father where he's been every single day since his son left home and his arms are wide open. And he looks down that lane, and at first he's not sure who it is, but he recognizes the way that his son walks. He'll never forget that walk. And when he sees that it's his son coming, with other ranch hands around, with people in the village watching, he goes racing down that lane, the most undignified thing an old man could do. Beard flowing in the air, his robe like a... You know, like a butterfly flashing up in the air. And he comes toward his son, and he smells that pig manure on his son. And he wraps his arms around that son and sucks him into his chest and kisses his pig-stained face. It doesn't bother him a bit. My son is home. My son is home. That's such a beautiful picture of God who wraps his arm around the stench of our sin and says, Let me take it from you. Let me die your death for you. Let me pay. Let me clean you up. Let me absorb all that smell and all that order and all that disgust. I'll take it from you. Ah, oh, you've come home. I love you so much. And Don't we serve so a great God? You know, my relationship with my son has been tumultuous. But you know what? He's taught me more about my relationship with God than anybody else. Because every time I've gotten ticked with him and every time I've wanted to punt him, you know... Drop kick him somewhere. I just see me and God, and I see God look at me saying, You know what? You're so fortunate I haven't punted you. Your sin stinks too. And I love you. When are you going to come home? When are you going to come home? You got to keep open arms. You've got to keep faith. You've got to keep that expectation that my child is coming home soon. And then the father restores his son fully. Don't you love that? He says, bring the robe. You know what that meant? You're back in the family. I'm not going to make you a hired servant. You are back in the family. The ring. What's the ring represent? Listen to this. The ring represents, I now give you back full responsibility. You are an heir. It's like handing your kid the American Express card. I trust you. How many of you could do that? Welcome home, son. Here's the Visa card. Welcome home, son. No, 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 no. You sit in the best chair. You sit where I always sit. You get the best piece of steak tonight. I mean, he saw son coming home. He knew he had repented. son didn't even need to say anything. Just by the fact the son was coming home, the father knew he had repented. And he showered him not with blame. He does not rub the sin in. He rubs it out. It's not shower with him with blame. or well, The misery you've caused your mother and I, the pain and the heartache that we've gone through, the years we've had to invest, the times we've had to bail you out. None of that comes up. Why? Because old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And what I love is that they celebrate exuberantly. A huge party. And the Bible says every time one of us comes home, God has a huge party in heaven. Can you imagine that? The angels celebrate. The angels rejoice. Are you a prodigal this weekend? You need to come home. Do you have a prodigal that's not home right now? Don't give up. Don't give up. I want to tell you a story as I close. I know it's a little bit late, but hang in there with me, would you please? Last weekend, I spoke at a men's retreat with 200 men. 200 ragamuffins, 200 pirates. There were gangsters there, mobsters there, Oakland cops there, and men with their degrees in theology there. There were African Americans, there were Hispanics, there were whites, there were Asians. It was a group that should not get along, but they all had one thing in common. They are all pirates. You know what I'm trying to say? They are all either prodigals or they've been prodigals. And I spoke to them four messages on what it means to be a real man at this camp. I want to tell you the story about one man. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because I want you to see the love of God. Because, you know, sometimes kids become prodigals. Girls and guys become prodigals because they haven't had a loving father. They haven't had a loving mother. They've had no one in their life. He had no one in his life. Young man, about 28, 29 years of age. I'll not use his name. My friend had seen him standing at Pete's Coffee in line. She was standing behind him, and she noticed that he had a very interesting tattoo across the back of his neck. F. God. I love this woman because she's an evangelist at heart. She tapped him on the shoulder and said, that's an interesting tattoo. Could I buy you a cup of coffee, and could you tell me how you got it there? They met four different times, and all she did was listen to a story. He had been in and out of 11 foster homes. One of the home, in one of the foster homes, he was sexually abused. In another foster home, he was told, we only have you here for the money, so behave yourself. He ended up in a boy's home. He ended up going to a local high school. At the local high school, a guy named Paul used to bully him repeatedly. From there, he ended up on the street, sleeping under the overpasses. One day, the boy that bullied him had become a Christian, had become a worship leader in the church. Saw him there and said, would you go to the men's retreat with me? He was shocked that the former bully would now ask him to go to a men's retreat. Remember, my friend has been kind of sharing and listening to him. She goes to the same church with this guy's worship pastor, but they don't know that each other has been talking to this guy. He decides, might as well, we me have else to go. He rolls up his duffel bag. He starts heading down the street. Oakland cop comes pulling alongside of him and says, where are you going? He said, I'm going to men's retreat. He said, so am I. Hop in, I'll give you a ride. He showed up at the men's retreat, listened to the ball preacher from Illinois talk about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace, and he gave his heart to Christ at the men's retreat. He stood in a pool surrounded He stood in a pool surrounded by all of his new friends getting ready to be baptized. And he wondered, how can I get rid of the tattoo that's on my neck? That's repentance. What did he discover? That there's a God who loves him. And how did he experience that love? To 200 men. They could all tell similar stories that discovered that this God that the world seems to hate and the world seems to want to blame is really the God who loves and cares for us and seeks to rescue us from what the world does to us and from what we do to ourselves.